you did, I thought you mentioned at the retreat that you were considering doing your dissertation on forgiveness at one point. Was that true? Yes, yes, I was. So I am kind of curious yes. your thoughts around that. Um, I don't know if you had developed your thoughts around that yeah. yet. Like what was it that you were pulled towards that or or what yeah. were you trying to? I think I was, uh, yeah, I was pulled I think towards it because I thought it was a largely misunderstood concept and one that I wanted to think about more. Um, meaning I, I was doing it more because I wanted to maybe think about it more or understand it better. Right. I, um, when I was growing up, when I was an adolescent, um, there were two girls in my ward who ran away from their family and came and lived with our family. Uh -huh. And um, because their father was sexually molesting the girls. And when my parents helped, we helped them take their dad to court, the mother said that basically she had forgiven the father and that the daughters and we ought to do it too. Uh-huh. And at the time, you know, she, I mean, the, the mother considered herself to be a very pious woman, but I felt like she was deeply betraying her daughters. And so this was, for me, this idea that the, the idea of forgiveness felt wrong and that it was even being used exploitatively. Yeah. And so I think I was interested in a dissertation around it in part because I just wanted to kind of think about the concept of forgiveness more um, to better understand when it's used to make people vulnerable versus used as a virtue or something that makes people stronger. Yes. Yeah, and that's, I think, I mean, that's kind of where my thoughts are, too, as I'm looking at forgiveness. I mean, I definitely, I think there's a lot of power, obviously, I think there's a lot of power in it. But I think, mm -hmm. as I've kind of been pushing myself around it, I, I kind of get confused. In fact, um, kind of your story, well, there's, um, there was this couple that was kind of on the verge of divorce. And the wife received a text from an individual. Um, and in the text was, you know, a couple of conference talks about forgiveness. And, you know, this individual is telling the wife, if you can just forgive your husband, then everything will be okay. And there's something about that. I mean, I think there is something, there is a good message in there, but there's something about that, and I can't quite articulate it, that just seems, there's some flawed thinking in that. Yeah. And I think it's so I think, you know, what yeah, what could be the case in that situation is I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say without more specifics, but yeah. Oftentimes people are being asked to forgive when in fact what they're saying is trust this person or turn the blind eye to this person when it would be dangerous or poor judgment to do that. Mm -hmm. And they're using that framing of forgiveness as a way to justify that blindness or collusion in something unhealthy. Yeah. Um, I think forgiveness is unequivocally a virtue, but I think we often conflate um, turning a blind eye to darkness or to bad things with forgiveness, and I don't think that they are one and the same at all. 
Yeah. I don't think forgiveness requires blindness. And I don't think forgiveness is about the offender. It's more about the offended. So I don't think forgiveness and trusting or even reconciliation necessarily correlate with one another. So maybe talk a little bit more about that. Like what's, because um, I agree, I think forgiveness and trusting are, are kind of almost two separate things. I think sometimes they can align. Yeah. But maybe talk a little yeah. bit more about how you see the difference between forgiveness and trusting, like. Yeah, or reconciliation for that matter. Yeah. I think forgiveness, what I think forgiveness is, is the, it's it, and if you use that language, that invites the person who's been betrayed to not live in bitterness and resentment. Yeah. When you've been betrayed, when you have been disappointed, when someone has not lived up to what you wanted, to what you hoped for, the ease with which one can live in a victim position in a kind of resentful, smoldering anger is very tempting thing to do because you really have been hurt. Because right. you really have been harmed. You really have had to suffer a lot because of someone else's indulgence or, or self-service um, self at your expense. And so I think forgiveness is a commandment or an invitation to not live in resentment, but to be able to go forward and forge a good life despite disappointment, despite others' betrayal, to not kind of build a life around for me. Yeah. And so it's a very challenging thing to do, especially if you've really been hurt. You know, very easy to kind of set up a life around your victimhood. So I think it forgiveness is really limited to whether or not you move out of the anger and the betrayal and move your life forward. Mm -hmm. which is maybe very different than whether or not you reconcile or trust the person who has done the betraying action. You may decide to, you can forgive and never reconcile. Yeah. I know people who've divorced. You know, I know a woman whose husband was a chronic, chronically unfaithful. She divorced him and forgave him. Like, she really moved her life forward. She lived her life with a lot of grace and dignity. She was continued to be kind to him, separate or divorce from him, um, and even invited him for Thanksgiving sometimes with the family. But she really moved forward in a qualitatively different way. Yeah. And I know lots of people who have had uh, unfaithful spouses who have never forgiven, even if they've reconciled, meaning they remain married, they continue to have that person in their life, but they continue to hate them. Yeah, and continue to resent them, even though they've never chosen to move forward. Uh, and then, of course, you can both reconcile and forgive, yeah, or, or not reconcile and never forgive too. Of course, you can do it that way. <laughs> yeah, but <they're laughs> but those are two different things. So it seems like then, and maybe maybe you've seen this with some of your clients that the the challenging piece, I would think would be when you're moving towards forgiveness and you're really trying to take that step towards forgiveness. Um, I think it'd be challenging then to try to figure out that trust piece and that reconciliation piece and like, yeah. 
and where to. Again, I think that's a different thing. So, you know, a lot of times my clients talk about trust as if trusting someone is a virtue. And I don't think that it is unless the person is trustworthy. <laughs> yeah. So that is to say, discerning someone's trustworthiness and acting accordingly uh, is where the value is. But it's not, it's not, there's no value in trusting somebody who's not living in a trustworthy manner. Yeah. It's foolish. There's no goodness in, you know, opening your heart up and, and, and offering responsibility to someone who's not going to exploit that responsibility. Yeah. And so I think that we often want to trust our spouse or people that matter to us even though we know in our hearts that they aren't worthy of that trust. And yeah. sometimes because we want so much to trust, we will and we'll slap forgiveness label on it. But it isn't a virtue because it doesn't create strength in the person being forgiven slash trusted. It doesn't create strength in the person offering that because it's based in a false hope, not in wisdom. Hmm. You know, when you describe forgiveness <clears throat> the way that you're kind of talking about it, I mean, it makes it sound like a strength. Like I've been reading a bunch of different books and some talks and different things on forgiveness. And one person said, um, kind of, they, they kind of had, they had a pessimistic outlook on forgiveness. They said, no, forgiving. Let's see this. You'll turn everyone into a benign, benevolent zombies. They're all too blissed out to function in the real world where you need a good, mm -hmm. strong suit of arm. Kind of this idea that when you walk towards forgiveness, you're just laying mm -hmm. down. But I think the way that you're talking yeah. about it, I mean, it really shows that it requires this higher emotional capacity to be able to make decisions around the event, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. So again, forgiveness is I'm not gonna just live in kind of bitterness. Yeah, that, you know, you have people who are like, did I tell you about how 30 years ago my ex-husband, you know, and yeah. people will sometimes just live in a victim narrative. It's, a, it's like a way of having a self without having forced to life. Yeah. And so it's a tempting to do. But, but it's a very, um, yeah, somebody who's going to discern if it's wise to continue to be with someone or it's wise to continue to trust someone. Well, it requires a much higher level of willingness to deal with what is and what's true. It requires a higher level of willingness to deal with human beings' capacity to do harm to one another. Yeah. Um, because otherwise you will be the list out zombie who's going to get walked on. Yeah. And so, again, forgiveness is not, forgiveness isn't virtuous unless it's offered in a space of the imperfection of the world, in the open acknowledgement of what human beings can do, and having the courage to offer goodness or to still strive for goodness when you see others don't. That's when I think it's virtuous. Yeah. That you're willing to not just return hate for hate. But that's different than I trust you or I'm going to build a life with you. Yeah. Uh, 
but I'm not going to live in the same level that you live in. That is a virtue. Yeah. Um, I may be rehashing this, but <clears throat> exactly, you know, what you're talking about, but um, there's that story that President Hinckley talked about, the, the woman, Victoria Rubolo, mm -hmm. who was hit with a, you know, the 20-pound frozen turkey in the face, and 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 the the 18-year-old <clears throat> who threw the turkey, you know, was, he faced up to 25 years in prison, and Victoria really pushed to just give him, like, six months in jail. And then I, I think there were some other things attached to that at that point, too. And I think when we hear stories like this, I mean, it's very inspirational, and I think there is a lot of goodness in it. But I I mean, like, at what point is it not helpful to offer, I don't know how to say that. It seems like sometimes in offering forgiveness, we can, we do actually lessen the, the suffering or even sometimes the consequences to the offender and we have yeah. it almost seems like we have that power to be able to make some choices maybe I don't I don't know if I'm looking yeah. at that wrong but like at what point is it I think you're right not helpful mm -hmm. to offer some of those yeah well freedoms. for example in, in the case of this story I think it's arguable that it was really virtuous of this woman to do it she understood this was an 18-year-old who made a bad choice, who probably came out of some situation in which doing this made sense, but was a bad choice. And I think she didn't want to ruin his life with a 25-year prison sentence. I think she understood that it wasn't worth that level of suffering for this kid. Mm -hmm. And so, she did actively work to mitigate what would the cost that this person would pay because I think she felt like she had compassion for his situation and for who he was yeah. and really felt like it was out of balance. I think, though, that that's different than saying, you know, I think my step, my foster sister, then, could, did, largely forgive their father in the sense that they moved forward. They have lived good lives. Mm -hmm. They have really tried to create something different. They haven't expended an enormous amount of energy hating this man. Yeah. But they also took him to court. Yeah. I mean, they also were facilitated in spending time in prison. And I think that's a valuable thing they did. Yeah. They they created a response and a consequence that he would be less of a threat to other innocent kids. And um, I think that this was not about, oh, we want him to suffer as long as possible, but it was a way of saying, you know, we do want to stand up and for there to be uh, a societal response to the cruelty of your behavior. And I think that is not um, inconsistent with forgiving and moving on. In fact, I think for them it facilitated their moving on because there was a response. Yeah. And they knew they participated in him not harming more people. You know, and I think one of the myths 
misunderstandings or even misbeliefs, misconceptions, misconceptions that we have around forgiveness is that forgiving is removing or trumping the justice, kind of like how you're talking about. But I uh, no, I lost. Are you still there? Oh yeah. yeah, I, yeah sorry, I lost you for a second. Yeah. Yeah. So right, you said that sometimes it can be seen as somehow removing or trumping the justice. Yeah. Um, I mean, yet in some situations too, it seems that, and maybe I'm just beating around the book, but it seems like in some situations the forgiveness will lead to that, and I guess that's what we just talked about with that that woman. It, um, I guess it can be challenging to know how to combine the forgiveness part and the, and the like seeking the, the redress part, the seeking the justice part, and combining those two together. I think, I think it can be challenging. I think, yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, I think in the case of the story that I think we told is, I think she actually felt like the justice piece was out of balance. And she didn't need, she she wasn't vindictive. I think that's her virtue in it. Yeah. She was okay with her being, having a response, but she didn't want to be vindictive. I think where we can, where we have to watch ourselves is, toler, is that we are vulnerable as human beings to use our disappointment and our hurt or the way that someone else's harm has punctured our own sense of, self or value to be vindictive, right? Mm -hmm. So I see in a lot of couples where the, a partner who feels betrayed in some way will just expend enormous amounts of energy punishing their spouse. Um, that even if they have changed or dealt with the behavior or to the masculine, you know, just the pornography or something. Yeah. And I said, look, I've really dealt with it. I'm not going to do that anymore. And that the spouse that feels betrayed won't let it go. It's kind of a way of, of managing their own punctured sense of self uh -huh. by constantly sort of digging at the other person. And I think that's kind of like where we're taking justice onto ourselves. And we're, we're not moving forward because we're so busy trying to kind of put our own sense of self back together through constantly undermining or puncturing the other person. I think that's when it, you know, you don't want to have no response. If somebody yeah. comes into my office, uh, two weeks after they find out their spouse is having an affair and they want to talk to me about forgiveness, it's totally wrong. It's unhealthy. It's like they don't want to actually deal with all their feelings. They don't want mm. to deal with the difficulty of what's actually happening in their marriage. They kind of don't want to see their spouse or themselves. Uh -huh. So they try to paper over the whole thing in the, in the name of forgiveness. And so it's unhealthy so quickly. That said, if somebody, depending on the level of offense, you know, yeah. three years later is just can't let it go, can't move on. I mean, that's when you know this has just become like a cancer in their soul and they won't kind of grieve. Forgiveness is a form of completing grieving. 
it's a way of moving forward, allowing yourself to fall apart, to face what is, to kind of understand the, the disappointment and sadness in it, but then not let it define your life. Yeah. Or to not spend your whole life punishing somebody because they disappointed you. So you're kind saying... Kind of like an unwillingness. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, so, well, so what you're saying is like a key component to being able to move towards forgiveness is first being able to, like, uh, to see the situation accurately, to be able to see it and not minimize it or not trump it up either, but to not yeah. downplay it, but to really right. experience it, I guess, in some ways, to really yeah, see it. to see it. Definitely. As hard as that may be. Oh, yeah. But that's the only way you're not going to be a, a clueless zombie. <laughs> yeah. You do have to see, you do have to see what's actually going on, what a spouse or parent or friend is willing to do to you in, yeah. in a moment of poor judgment. Because otherwise you're not, you know, as we often say, the truth sets you free. And if you don't want to see the truth, you are setting yourself up. And so... It has no virtue if it's about, I just don't want to deal with what it is. Yeah. The virtue in it is that I am willing to see what it is. I am willing to really acknowledge who you are or what you were able to do. And not, and then make wise choices in the face yeah. of that knowledge. Make wise choices in the face of what I see you do going forward. But um, importantly, not spend all of my energy trying to punish you, harm you, or being the victim of you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's basically, that's the count of Monte Crisco. Crisco? Crisco. Is he's, <laughs> he's so focused on, I mean, in, in some aspect, like, yes, I think it's legitimate for him to kind of bring those events to the forefront and, and to disclose them or to make them known or whatever. But I think <laughs> he obviously moves into the the position of he's just seeking revenge for the whole thing. Right. Or I think it's right. I, I I like right. that aspect though. I think it's it's because because I think one of the mis um one of the misconceptions we attach to forgiveness, I think, is that sometimes we equate forgiveness with kind of minimum we well when we forgive in a way that's I think destructive to us we're minimizing the situation or we're downplaying it or we're kind right. of brushing it right. off. Right. Exactly. And, and I think that, I think that, again, not a virtue. Yeah. It's not a virtuous form. Yeah. I think, you know, if you look at people who live in resentment, you know, they've always got a kind of well-rehearsed victim narrative. They are always talking about where they were wrong and how they were wrong and can you believe that person did this. It's it's the easy way to inflate your sense of self and kind of manage your own disappointments, but it, it, it traps you. Yeah. And a lot of people live in that trap. And I think that's what God is pushing us to not do. I do think God cares about revenge. You know, I think God does care about the fact that our inability to forgive can further harm the person that did the damage. But I don't think that's as much the focus. It's not about, you know, the perpetrator 
deserves to have no uh, negative feelings towards him or her. I don't yeah. think that's the issue. I think it's more around what it does to your own life when you get caught up in revenge or grief. Yeah, more the more the way that it destroys us, essentially. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm going to ask this, even though I think we've talked about it basically throughout. I think it's. I think you've weaved it into all the your responses and your answers. Um, but what are some of the differences between that that version of forgiveness that makes us vulnerable and opens us up to getting hurt and be taken advantage of, versus that other version of forgiveness that is a virtue that that comes from our strength mm -hmm. and that contributes to are healing. Like if you were to yeah. put those side guess, by side, yeah. how would you do that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I wouldn't call the first version forgiveness. Yeah. Because it isn't a virtue. It's basically, I don't want to deal with what it is. I just want you to take care of me, and I want to imagine that, well, let's say it's an emeritus. I just want to imagine that if I have no negative response to this, that, uh, you will continue to be a caretaker of me. It's, it's like a dependent position, and you use forgiveness to keep that dependency alive. Mm -hmm. I won't have negative feelings, therefore you hopefully won't leave the marriage, or you, you, know, you hopefully will continue to take care of me. So people that are in marriages in which one partner constantly takes advantage are often basically re-engaging in that same dynamic, maybe using the language of forgiveness, but basically they're willing to keep, they, they would prefer the fantasy that this person will be trustworthy this time to actually dealing with reality and doing something wise in the face of who their partner seems to be given the, the repetition of their actions. Um, real forgiveness is I'm willing to fully face who you are, who I am, what this is about, where it comes from in you, what impact it's had on me. I'm not pretending. I, I'm not going to try and see it worse than it is, nor am I going to yeah. see it better than it is. I'm willing to see what is and metabolize my own loss around it, metabolize the disappointment um, in order to earn wisdom. Yeah. wisdom about me, about my situation, and make a wise choice in the face of it. And then the forgiveness is I'm not going to spend all my energy in retribution. I may pursue legal things. I may do things that I think matter, mm -hmm. but they're not driven by hatred and revenge. They're driven by a desire for justice and fairness and wise action. Yeah. I like that. And I think when we can, I just think another day. I, I mean, I think when we can get to that part of the forgiveness where we can root out that, that resentment and that that's driving maybe our actions and behaviors, I think it puts us in a place to be able to think clearly, to be able to make those wise decisions around the situation and to be able to act yeah. what's best yeah, for the situation. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I think 
I think that's all I have. Great. I don't know. Do you have any last thoughts? Good question. Or anything? Um, I think that for someone who's maybe struggling with a victim identity or a victim narrative, mm -hmm. I think that the way to move forward is not to shame their negative feelings so much. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I've seen people who try to make themselves forgive something uh, that they just aren't ready to forgive. Uh, or almost like I want the negative feelings towards the person who did harm in my life to go away or else I'm not a good person. Uh, I'm actually kind of conflating two situations in what I just said. But, you know, first of all, I, I don't think you can just make negative feelings go away. Yeah. I think what I would be thinking about in that is not how do I make the negative feelings go away, but um, what purpose do the negative feelings serve in my life right now? Hmm. Why am I clinging to them? Right? In yeah. some situations, like for my foster sisters, they needed to cling to those negative feelings. It was a way of retaining their own dignity and their own sense of self. They needed to understand and believe in their own hearts that they did not deserve what happened to them, huh. that their father was off and wrong. And so, the, the, if you're going to use the language negative feelings, but the, the negative feelings towards their father was a function of their self-respect. And so it had value, um, had value. The issue was if they were to make it be that the negative feelings were consuming them so much that they couldn't move forward and live a life that they expected. So yeah. if you are in a situation where you feel like you're caught in a strong victim narrative, right? Like, yeah. I like telling this story at this time that I was wrong, um, that then to think like, why is it such a compelling story for me? What is it, you know, if I've made someone all bad and me all good, then there is a chance that I'm using this story to kind of mask something here that I don't want to deal with or see. Yeah. For example, if somebody feels like, you know, their spouse betrayed them, they might get super focused in a victim narrative in part because it allows them to not deal with the part of them that wonders if they deserved it or wonders if they were a part of their spouse's desire to be, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it becomes a way of not actually dealing with aspects of themselves or aspects of their life. So I think asking yourself, why do I cling to the story? What's it protecting me from? What's it keeping me from? You know, if I were to just uh, move forward in a way that I could respect how would I orient to this loss or sadness in my life differently? You know, not sort of shaming I have the wrong feelings, but is there a way that I need to move forward and grieve or let go of the thing that happened to me and find my dignity in a different way in the story so that I can move forward? Is there some way to shift yeah. that story in my mind around my own strengths or my own, um, my own resilience? 
so as part of what you're saying when you're saying um, you know not to not to shame those feelings is you know you're you're making space for yourself to actually grieve the situation. Yes, that's right. And that's right. and that that pain can actually and I think what you're saying is that pain if you allow it can actually move you in a positive direction. Yes, that's right. That it right. can grief has value. Yes. Yeah. Because you know you can't again you can't really forgive unless you let yourself grieve. Yeah. You can't fully grieve unless you let yourself forget. So it's a, it's a kind of tolerating, living life on life's terms. It's a kind of allowing uh, yeah. the imperfection of the world without it consuming you. Essentially. That's interesting. I don't know that I've thought about that a lot, but I mean that makes sense. That I mean, you just, and I, you said that earlier too. Like that key part of forgiveness is actually, I mean, the grieving part. The the because yeah. I think it's really easy for us to. Um, shut down some emotions and kind of block ourselves from feeling, I don't right. know, that we ever completely, but, you know, to kind of <laughs> limit the the amount of feeling that we get from some negative experience. But that... Yes, exactly. Because Where I think we feel shame for feeling that, you know, like we feel yeah. weak because we feel hurt or something. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you respond, at least initially, with that, you actually curtail or, or short circuit a process that really matters. Yeah. I mean, this is a different thing, but it, in some ways it's similar. You know, when my, when my oldest child was diagnosed with autism, he was a little over two years old, and and Partly what you're doing in, in that process of any time you have a, a life-changing reality um, is you have to grieve. You know, you have to forgive life for not giving you what you wanted and acknowledging that what you wanted, it was fine to want it, right? But that life isn't going to give you that. And finding a way to metabolize that loss without shaming yourself for having feelings about it. Like, of course you're going to have feelings about it. Yeah. Of course it's going to be disappointing. But if you don't let yourself kind of fall apart and then reconstruct a self in the face of the new reality, you you curtail a process that you need to be able to move forward. Yeah. So I remember in that year just crying a lot and easily and sometimes in inconvenient places. <laughs> but, <laughs> but thankfully, I didn't. Thankfully, I didn't shame myself for that. Yeah. And thankfully, I just was able to accept that. Of course, I would feel that way, and probably wouldn't feel that way forever. Yeah. And I think that allowed me to sort of pick myself up and to start creating something in the face of the reality. I actually found a really powerful idea to grab a hold of, the, just the idea of that. And I think, and I love that you mentioned that it was like a year. I don't, oh, I yeah, at least for, probably longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's a process. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes, you know, sometimes yeah. forgiveness can be, like you can forgive someone and have that, those feelings immediately yeah. gone. And yeah, right. sometimes that There's grieving small process. Yeah, that's right. 
there's, there's a little offensive of somebody cutting you off and you know the faster you learn right the faster right. you learn to let those things go without your blood pressure going through the roof. I mean, the healthier you'll be, the happier you'll be. Yeah. But there's bigger offenses, and they take more time. And, and again, there's there's offenses of, of interpersonal harm, and there's a 